0: What is up everybody welcome back to a run your mouth podcast we're here Wednesday afternoon coming at you from the Yo Kratom studios of America home of the $60 kilos and a broadcast like this what's going on We got no nonsense unless you guys have some nonsense that you wanted to get into to start off the show Usually I come in here. I'm out in the world People are pissing me off and I got all sorts of things to yell about, but you know We've been doing a lot of yelling recently. We've been here cranking out the episodes every other day Coming back to actually doing this thing at regular times, 11 a.m., starting a little bit early today because I believe I have a guest coming on in the second half. But we go live, so you never actually know if they show up. But uh, if not, we'll reschedule. Got Mark Jeftovic. I think that's the way his last name is pronounced. Read his book a while ago, Unassailable. Uh, Saw an article that he just put up on Zero Hedge. Was quite topical. And so I'm teasing in the second half. If you guys want to know how you're going to be able to survive this new world order, where they force you to have carbon credits, where the elites make you purchase allowances that were just free in earlier points of your life, well, then stay tuned for the second half. But in the meantime, like I said, I got no nonsense. We can get right into topics unless someone in the chat wants to throw something out before we get this party started. Otherwise, we're hopping right into topics. There's no reason to waste any more time because we've got lots to discuss before we have our guest on. All right, getting into topics. Here we go. Starting off, the president's plan to shame away inflation. How to return your unused turkey? Can we redo this? I, I want to redo this because you know I fixed the thing so we could actually have like sound and stuff, and now I don't have sound. So we're gonna we're, we're gonna redo this. Here we go. Here we go, everybody. You know I I I gave you the opportunity to come in with topics, so this is on you. Don't don't blame the uh, producer on this one. All right, here we go. Let's let's do that again. Let's do that again. Give me, give me my fancy intro music. Here we go. Here we go. The president's plan to shame away inflation. How to return your unused turkey. The best Monday after Black Monday deals to return on Receipt Friday. How cranberry sauce can heal your athlete's foot. Travel experts tell us the best stadiums for dressing up your kids in blackface. And if Deadspin is retracting a story, are they Indian giving? All that and more on today's episode. But let's take a moment. Thank our sponsor, shaveco.com People, we've been plugging this. I need you to get out there. I need you to go to shaveco.com and use promo code RYM and get yourself some good razors. Quit with these plasticky, crappy ones that keep making you look like you got STDs on your face. All right? Get over the razor burn get over supporting Big Shave Co., hop back into the game, be a real man, get yourself an actual razor, support Liberty, support the show, support the fact that independent companies are actually getting into the marketplace and building websites and saying, fuck you to the people of Gillette and Bic. I mean, doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that make you feel like you're actually doing something in your life? If you want to stand and face yourself in the mirror and just carve into your head Looking like a serial killer and thinking about the fact that you're making an impact on the world because you're taking on these horrendous companies that spend all their sponsor dollars helping trans kids turn more trans. Is that the way you want to spend your money? That's not what you want. So here's what you got to do. You got to go to com, Use promo code RYM. You get yourself a real razor. And then you can like you don't even need to meditate anymore. You just get to space out while you look in the mirror and think about how you're spending your money making a difference. Nado shaveco dot Use promo code RYM. Razors are terrifically priced. You don't need to buy that crap from CVS. All right, here we go. And uh, like I said, you know we're trying to bring more uh, more of the uh, the ladies into the show. And uh, that's why now, you know, as I said, I'm becoming an expert in uh, topics such as uh, astrology. You know, I'm really, I'm, uh, I'm really, I'm reading up on these things. And yesterday we were talking about the uh, the Beaver Moon, and I'm here to tell you that the uh, the Beaver Moon energy, it still looms. It's still, it's still out there. It's receding, but we're still amidst the Beaver Moon's energy. And so now is the time to prepare for winter and start spending more time inside to wean yourself like off the sun. Like You need to start drinking earlier, maybe put on a few pounds. This is the chance to start getting ready for hibernation. You don't want to be one of these people that's completely shocked by the fact that winter has started. That's not what you want to do. What you need to start doing is putting on the pounds, drinking earlier, and hopefully trapping a chubby chick to spend the winter with you. That's ideally what you want to do. And then by the time March comes around, you shed the weight and you upgrade. But for now, we're going into the winter. You want a lady that you can have be your big spoon. And, uh, you know, because now it's the, the end of the beaver moon, so now's the chance to put on the weight, start drinking earlier, getting used to the fact that there won't be sun, and making your preparations for the cold. You don't want to, You don't want it to suddenly be cold and you're trapped behind. All right. First topic of the day, Hunter Biden offers himself up for public grilling by House panel, probing his shady business ties. We might actually get it. Hunter Biden in front of Congress. People are asking him, hey, who's the big guy? And he's like, that's my dick. Next question. Who else wants some of this action? You get some really conservative senators sitting there asking questions that are a little bit uh, a little bit dicey. Like, uh, so are the Asian hookers really better? And uh, where do you get a hold of one of them? And what do you recommend? Like, what does like a rate look like on that kind of thing? This is some bullshit. I don't even understand this one. The Republicans are demanding to do the first one behind closed doors to then what, repeat it and do a public hearing? Let's get this front in front of the cameras. What do you think? You're actually going to lose a match against Hunter Biden? You think he's going to show up? He's going to do the right crack beforehand? He's going to do whatever they, did they gave to Joe Biden before he actually showed up to the debate ceremonies and actually pulled that shit off? Whatever the secret CIA drug is that gives you the right amount of amp? That you can stay focused. What do you think? You really think is, is Hunter Biden that smart that if you get the TV cameras in front of him and you start asking about your relationships with Barisma, with these Chinese people, with all the money coming in, going in circles, being spent on crack, you really think you got to do this behind closed doors first? You need a you need a practice round. I, I'm looking forward to this one. T- talking about we're, we might be get some good television this week you got the Sean Hannity debate between uh, um, uh, between DeSantis and Newsom. DeSantis is completely out of the race, so I don't even know what the point of that thing is. But it's an opportunity for Newsom to go into hostile territory and go, look, I'm not as old and senile as Biden, which could be interesting. All right. And then hopefully we get this action. I'm looking forward to this. Hunter Biden in front of uh, Senate or Congress answering some questions. Now, this was interesting because uh, we got a part of the problem uh, coming out uh, probably today in the afternoon. And we were discussing when Joe Biden was uh, talking about inflation and how the Democrats are doing everything they can to try and pretend like, you know, the economy's fine. Don't pay attention to the prices you're paying or the job that you lost or why everyone in your life hates you or why you're seemingly more miserable at work. Uh, Don't pay attention to any of these things. Everything's actually more wonderful than it's ever been. And if you think otherwise, you're just a crazy person. Uh, Now, the Democrats do have a couple winning cards. One is, I think any Republican who really wants to come in there and try and push the uh, no abortion type thing, you seem to lose a lot of potential voters. There seems to be a lot of voters that, you know, might like not be on board, with the Democratic Party, they might not even be aboard on the woke agenda, the ESG agendas, the inflations, the spending monies, the supporting of wars. You might get people who agree with you on 99% of topics. But if you want to push that one topic, then boom, they're leaving. There's another one, which is uh, once people get their entitlement reforms, it's pretty hard to claw them back. You know, if you start talking about taking away people's Social Security, they start getting pretty upset. And so Trump is already starting to talk, I guess, about trying to roll back Obamacare. Now, for me, I understand the free markets. I understand the way healthcare works. And let's get rid of that dog shit. I have no interest in Obamacare, getting fined for not having insurance. Or now, what do I spend? I got my uh, the, the cheapest plan you could possibly have with the highest possible deductible. And I'm throwing $540 a month down the fucking drain because I'm not going to see any doctor's what's so they can take some blood work, tell me I got to run another test and then take some MRNAs, then go see some other thing. You want insurance and want for one reason and one reason only, and that's if you get cancer and you can't sit down with the tea lady from China who can fix it. <laughs> if you can't get your hands on the Rockefeller Burn manuscripts where you can take the right amount of ginger and kratom to get you can't say that on the air. But anyways, you get what I'm saying. I'm a relatively healthy young man. Insurance is a scam, anyways. It's not like they let you lock in your insurability. I guess if anything, if you got the cancer now, you could just pretend to fire yourself from one company and rehire yourself from another company, and then say, "Look, it's an insurable event," and then they get they're forced to take you anyways. And then of course they mark up the prices so much that the copay is just what you would have been paying out of pocket anyways. That's why they won't tell you the price. You got to declare whether or not you have insurance first, because they don't want to tell you that the price would have been the same anyways. The whole thing's a scam, and I hate it, and I find that, the the, the, the you know, you got to make an appointment, you got to sit around. Does anyone, I, I mean, if you need, listen, if something hurts, if your butthole's falling out of your ass crack, if, uh, if, if your eyes are bleeding, you know, you break your arm, there's certain situations you're not going to have a choice, but you're going to have to engage with the doctor, and there are plenty of good doctors out there. Hope Dr. Krim's still listening. He's given us some good insights along the way. We've met some other doctors around here. We've had the doctor from Premier Farm on, Dr. Jacob. He's a good guy. There's good doctors out there. We're not saying that everyone out there is a, a bad doctor. But what we are saying is that in a free market, you'd be able to actually see the price of something. There'd be competition. You could go purchase it. You'd end up with better care. You'd move on with your life. Or even in a uh, less free market with just shenanigans but not the forced everyone's got to go buy insurance from these specific companies so that they can, uh, you know, purchase all the other companies and then send themselves rebate checks and make more profits than ever. You get yourself a catastrophic care plan. Maybe you get yourself a concierge doctor and then all of a sudden, you know how much I'd love to actually have a doctor I can consult with. I'm, I'm a nervous nebbishy Jew. You don't think I'd like Dr. access? You know how much my grandmother harassed her doctor all the time, constantly thinking she was dying. At some point, that's what you need. You need to make enough money that when you're really an old fetchy Jew and you wake up every morning thinking that you're dead. There's a doctor that you can consult with to say uh, you're not dead yet, but you are getting it. We're all getting there. You know, that's the that's what that's what your life is. The slow march towards death of which some people, uh, you know, they run a little faster. Anyways, so talking about uh, um, insurance and uh, they're trying to spin it, that this might be the big win for Joe Biden. That is uh, Trump ramps up and says he wants to get rid of Obamacare, that might be the thing that takes him down, kind of like everything that was going on with the abortion talk, right? That uh, it's so unpopular, that might be the thing. Except, you know, Trump, it could be, maybe I'll just kind of be like, hey, listen, Mexican's going to pay for it. Or you know what we should really do? If we want to change people's minds about how good healthcare can be, we should start shipping women to Mexico for vacations, like young kids that want to party. All you have to do is go into one Mexican pharmacy once, buy over-the-counter meth from a hot nurse who will sell it to you, take that with your friend Johnny, and believe me, you'll go, this is a better lifestyle. What am I doing with cocaine? What am I doing trying to find Adderall before a final when I can just walk into a pharmacy and buy myself some meth right over the counter, buy some dick pills to go with it and get out there? That's all it takes. If you're a partying person, you just have to show up to a Mexican pharmacy once and realize there's a better way. Or if you're one of like these 35-year-old women, let's go older. If you're one of like these 45-year-old women trying to look like a 32-year-old, you get yourself $10 Botox. You get yourself some stem cells. You get yourself some health. That's what that's what everyone needs. We need healthcare island. We need someone to actually, and I think this somewhat exists, that people go to other countries to get cheaper procedures. But that's what we really need someone to just advertise healthcare island where you get on a plane and you go there and you can actually just like the way that people used to go to Amsterdam for marijuana because you can actually like see prices. Except you go there now, it's not any better than the weed we have here. But anyways, you know, healthcare island when you go there and everyone's like, why is this so much cheaper here and why is this healthcare so good? oh, I guess without insurance, this is actually an affordable product. That's how you start convincing people. You got to build a healthcare island or start sending these partying kids to to to, to Mexican pharmacies or, uh, you know, these pushing 42-year-olds trying to look like 27-year-olds to some cosmetic procedures that you can only get in Mexico. As I'm saying this story, I'd love to go back to Mexico. I didn't like it the first time. I complained about the granola bars. I complained that the, the of the lack of water. I was stressed out because I was between four gigs. But I would love to just get myself my hands on some of that Mexican over-the-counter amphetamines and uh, maybe get after it for a, a longer period of time. All right. Uh, Oh, another quick sponsor guys go follow on Twitter. They are a fun follow. They are feisty. They get after it. They're battling for the second amendment. They're speaking up for the citizens munition, uh, the citizens, uh, uh, do you guys know the word I'm looking for militia? Go check out Phoenix. Firstly, go load up on some bullets. Phoenixammunition.com. You're there. I've seen your stockpiles. I've been to your homes. I've seen how many guns you guys all have. You guys invite me to shooting in every single town I'm in. You guys all have glorious display cases. And so, you know, quit buying from all these companies that are also selling to the government. That doesn't help. Don't boost the profit lines of these companies that are also, uh, you know, supporting the war machine, sending ammo all over, uh, arming your police department. What you need to do is invest in the company that actually just supports us. The freedom of the individual having your gun and you're safe. The cool stuff. The thing the founding fathers believed in and go follow them on Twitter cuz they're a good time. Let them know that you heard about uh heard about them on the show and go get yourself a big ass bag of bullets. That feels good. That feels good when you get a big ass bag of bullets in the in the mail and you know that you're supporting the freedom operation. The people that won't sell to the government will only send the high sell the high-end bullets to you and support programs like this. Phoenix Ammunition, PhoenixAmmo.com. All right, let's take a couple comments. Jess Man, medical tourism. Yes. Uh it's just jazz real. When I lived in Australia, I would fly to Malaysia to get my dental work done for a fraction of a fraction of the price. I bet Malaysians have gentle hands. Uh pokies coexist. All right, um, came across this one. Here's an interesting story for everybody hanging out with us today. Uh, So I was seeing a number of headlines. We're going to go in slightly reverse order. And, uh, you know, I've been over here all doom and gloom about the US dollar. I've been saying, listen, this whole Russia Ukraine war thing, it didn't work out. We had everyone sitting in our prison, spending our currency. And then we threw them out of our prison and said, hey, you're not allowed to go spend money with other people. And we bullied Germany into backing us. And we thought that China and uh, India would get our backs. And they were like, fuck no, we need that natural gas and we're going to go purchase it. And so the whole thing just fell apart within the first week. We could have seen this within the first week of the Ukraine war, when America pushed that thing and China and India said, nah, we're going to still trade with Russia. You could have seen that it was over. And now You've got bricks, which uh, uh, because we threw them out of the SWIFT system. And so you're like, hey, you know, that was the that was what was keeping us in power was that everyone was using our currency is forcing everybody away from our currency. Really going to help us out. And then you got storylines like the petrodollar, something that we uh, explored on this show with Gary Richide, Twisted History of the United States, Um, Hot to Water History podcast. But we we discussed uh, the petrodollar. And then you start seeing, you know, more people moving away from our currency, potentially trying to make some sort of a gold-backed currency, which would force austerity on the United States of America, maybe actually reckon with the fact of there is an endless demand for the U.S. dollar. And uh, so some of the big headlines were that, one, this is from Business Insider, Russia's oil deals with India should terrify countries trying to abandon the dollar. And then you also had, that the UAE, this is I forget where this was from, officially stops using dollar for oil trades. And that I think they've started using the uh the yuan uh or the yen, whatever the fuck the Chinese currency is. And so, you know, I've been over here all doom and gloom. Hey, we better be careful, we better not be pushing around these other countries. But on today's episode, we're gonna look at some of the other sides of the story and some of the things we've been yelling about for long periods of time. That way. No matter what happens in the future, we can point to one episode here and go, you see, I was right. <laughs> but uh, it's a topic that we've explored, and those were some uh, some big headlines. But then I was reading another article that uh, Russia was having a, a problem because they didn't even want to accept India's currency. That was already starting to fall apart. And then I was reading this article in the New York Times about how all of these people who are making money in China. They're all trying to get their money out of China, which reminded me of something that uh, Keith Wiener, who said on the show from uh, Monetary Metals, was telling us all about that. Everyone thinks that the U- Like people want to move away from the US dollar, but what do you think you're going to move away to? And if you look at these other currencies, you know every single time these countries try and work together, they never trust each other. I also see articles like this on Mishtalk.com, I don't know why we're referencing so many people today. I've been trying to get that guy on the show. We'll get it. We'll get him at some point. Uh, but this did strike me as I was reading this article in the New York Times about all these people in China doing everything they can to get their money out of China. And then I was reading the article about how Russia doesn't really trust, uh, doesn't really want, uh, I guess, uh, rupees. And I was like, you know what? Maybe the dollar is a little bit more secure than I've been screaming doom and gloom about. I still think we're headed for trouble. I still think, though, if uh, if I look at these storylines and the moves of the oil nations away from the U.S. dollar, breaking away from the historical petrodollar. And if you look at the uh, changes in reserve currencies uh, uh, around the world and I guess the percentage of usage and if you look at demand for the current U.S. dollar, along with all the spending that we've done and uh, access to new funds, I think it's a more bearish story, but you know, just trying to give both sides, uh, ex white house official sheds more light on fate of researcher who may have caused COVID pandemic. Um, oh, so apparently the guy who started COVID, um, in that Wuhan lab died. And the official statement from the Chinese was, we told him not to eat at the Wuhan lab. <laughs> I mean, at the uh, wet market, we've been telling them not to go there for lunch. These, these Chinese, well, actually he fell off a roof, which." You know, it makes sense. The guy's clumsy. He's releasing viruses. That would make sense. A guy who uh, can't not release viruses fell off a roof. I feel like we could believe that. This is a story that gave me inspiration. Bill Belichick is on the verge of becoming the NFL's biggest loser. And I was just like, you got to figure out how to win early in life. I don't know how you do that or just hang in there long enough. Because remember when Bill Belichick had Tom Brady and was just the winningest person ever? And oh my God, this is the greatest genius that's ever commanded the game. And now at this point, he's had so many losing seasons since that grand run with Tom Brady that he's about to set a record for, I think, the most losses in the NFL, which, you know, it, it just, it, it's like we're all winners and losers. It's like somehow, it, that, here's what I'm trying to say take all your money and go to the casino. And if you lose it, you just have to keep showing up because at some point it's going to turn around. And if you get lucky, Then you win up front because at least you get the success of winning up front. Because most people, they can't hang in there long enough through their failures to actually find a win. Because that's the problem. It's like if you win up front, then people go, hey, this guy can win. And then they'll stick with you and they'll give you more of an opportunity. And you might have more faith in yourself because at one point in time, you were a winner. The problem is if you start off as a loser, then it's harder to convince people that you could be a winner. And it's harder to even convince yourself that you could be a winner. But the point is, even the biggest winners, they're all fucking losers, too. It's just like you get your good years, you get your bad years. I bet you even look at like most of these Wall Street people. It's just bonuses in the years that they took on a shit ton of risk and they had some wins. And they had other years where they had crazy losses. How many people you think are on Wall Street right now as CEOs that have basically had even years of good and bad? And just, the, you know, it's like that scene in Wolf of Wall Street about the money just swirling around. But hey, they took their fees out. They got their cash out. Anyways, I found inspiration in that story that the uh, biggest, you would think the biggest winner of all time and having the experience of winning more games, watching more football games, seeing more things in action, he would only become better at his job. But even that guy is a fucking loser. Elon Musk visits Israel after uh, ex anti semitism allegations. Which uh, that's uh, it's fun being you know a billionaire. Where you're like you think I'm an anti semite? Can I, you know what I'm gonna go sit down with the chief Jew tomorrow? I I I don't like the the Jew in Israel thing being wrapped up in one. Where the, so that's the way you prove you're an anti. Go uh, you know you got to sit down with like Netanyahu, like he's the representative. That he's the representative for Israel. Not for the Jews, but that's the way people look at things. He goes, "I'm going to go meet with the chief Jew," and so he goes over there. And um, odd that uh, that the other guys are under an umbrella. I guess if you're uh, a billionaire, it just it doesn't it doesn't rain on you. I guess you don't have to be concerned with rainfall. He's got some Tony S technology, little micro particles that float around him that just propel the rain away. He can reorganize the sal- the satellites so that he's got a shield around himself and he doesn't have to worry about rainfall, or maybe is Netanyahu such a pompous person that he's got an umbrella guy with him all times, so then he never has to get the sun in his face. That's the way it works when you got the devil inside. <laughs> it's chief vampire shit right there, where you've got an umbrella guy even on uh you know I guess maybe it was a sunny day. It looks sometimes uh, uh sunny. And, uh, you know, it's these little weird Elon Musk stories where I always seem to wonder, so what what do we think? Is this guy just a player in the game, defense contractor, ingrained into the system, making his money mainly off of government contracts, subsidies, military contracts, and whatnot? And so, you know, he's part of the machine. He's been bought like everybody else, or does he so much smarter of a chess player that we can't even see the way in which he's uh, free and just kind of gesturing towards all these people and maneuvering, because that's what you got to do. You got to offer people stuff. It was what I talked about with uh, the Argentinian guy, you know, with the U.S. dollar. That's how you buy yourself some uh, some legroom. That's how you, that's, you, you go to the United States government, you go to the biggest boss, the biggest mob boss, and you go, listen, I've got what you want. I got oil and I'll start trading in dollars. Let's go you know, it doesn't really matter what you do from there. You just gave them the main thing that they want. Um, all right. Well, Biden's okay. Yeah, this is, uh, this is an interesting piece. And then we have our guest. So, you know, we've, uh, we've bashed on Israel quite a bit on this show. And, uh, I, I was, I was very surprised to read this article, uh, from, uh, George Reisman. If, uh, you know, everyone's got that hack thing. What made you a libertarian? And I found I, I should really reach out to the guy because he's uh, getting older. I've I, I've read half of his giant book, Capitalism, and I keep thinking, hey, I'll finish that one day and I'll interview him. Uh, I remember back in college. Maybe I've mentioned this on the show before. You know, let's be a little bit more focused. Everyone has that hack question. What made you a libertarian? There's a bunch of different things. but let me tell you, George Reisman's essays on gun control, health care and a couple other topics instantly changed my mind, like instantly. Where I would have thought, hey, we need reasonable gun control. And I read his article about on the government uh, having guns to keep the government in check. And I was like, that makes perfect sense. Where I would have thought, of course, government should pay for healthcare, And then I read his article about eating in a restaurant. And if uh, you're going to split the bill, you're going to order the most expensive thing because you're not going to sit there and just let someone else order the most expensive thing and talking about how uh, government uh, reforms in terms of incentives and unions and otherwise and tax benefits created the insurance phenomenon, which makes healthcare more expensive. On the spot, read that article, changed my mind. Uh, and I remember, and I, I just can't find it. Maybe if you're an internet sleuth, you can find it. I remember in college once writing some essay, coming across some concept of him, of like American imperialism and dollar diplomacy, and then it was all about getting people to use the dollar, so that we could, uh, you know, keep taking on more and more debt. And I can't refine that article, but I remember it was one of the rare times in college where you write something you're like, "Holy shit, that just blew my mind. That is fascinating." So every once in a while, I, it, uh, I, 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 I actually I yeah, check his blog about once a month because he only posts about once a month, and I'll, I'll read I'll read whatever he puts out there. It's usually great, and I'm not even saying that this is bad. I just thought that it was interesting because if I were to summarize the two approaches to the outlook of, uh, what's going on, uh, in Israel, uh, on the Dave Smith, Scott Horton side, uh, you've got Israel is engaging in killing innocent civilians and they've stolen land, uh, and they've empowered Hamas. And so, uh, while no one's endorsing terrorist activities, uh it on the same note israel doesn't have a right to go and kill civilians um and what they've done is atrocious and they should start taking paths towards actually trying for a two state pol- uh, solution and no longer keeping the palestinians in a uh you know i guess what they're calling an open air prison on the other side of this is i see people who will argue well this is a war and in all wars You know, you have civilian casualties. Israel is not trying to engage in civilian casualties, but like every other country, they've got a requirement to protect their people. And these are casualties of war and they have no choice but to take the actions that they are, uh, because otherwise they will cease to exist in the face of what's going on in Gaza. Now, I don't agree with that perspective. Um, I think, uh, they, 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 you know, like I said, platitudes and gratitudes, you got to come out as uh, anti the killing of babies and innocent civilians. Otherwise people will, uh, they'll twist your words. They'll say that that was what you're looking for. I also look at the situation over there. And I think I said in the last episode, they get along with Egypt. You've got Druze, you've got Arab Israelis. They all get along. Why is it you're able to get along with all these other people? Why is it specifically this group of people? And it sounds like, cause you must've done something to them or trying to take something from them. But, you know, just to give uh, a fair shake, you know, to, uh, to the other side that sees this more as a, uh, hey, this is a war and this is what happens in war. I'm going to read this piece. I'm not going to argue with the piece. We're just going to raise it as is because uh, in terms of arguing the side of, hey, this is a war, I feel like this is the probably uh, cleanest way that I've seen it written up. And so let's give it a read. Will Biden's humanitarian aid to Gaza cost Israel the war? Biden, Blinken, Bugs Bunny, and other cartoon characters running our government either don't know what the word war means, which is possible since they don't seem to know what man and woman mean, or they want Hamas to win the war. It has started with Israel. Imagine that Biden had been president in World War II. Would he have sent humanitarian aid to Germany and Japan to be sure that innocent civilians had food and medical supplies? Would he have believed that those supplies would actually get to any innocent civilians and not be appropriated by the Axis government to aid their continuing war effort? In World War II, we bombed the hell out of Germany and Japan day after day, night after night. Our goal was to destroy their war-making ability and not to worry about the effect on their civilians, most of whom supported their governments, just as most Gazans today support Hamas. Would it have been wonderful if the United States and Britain had controlled the water and electric electricity supplies in Germany and Japan like Israel controls them in Gaza? We could have shut off those supplies and just waited for the thirst and paralysis to compel the Axis to surrender. We could have demanded Hitler's and Tojo's heads, and before long, they probably would have been delivered on a pike. Not only would it not have been necessary to drop atomic bombs in Japan to end the war, but all the lives subsequently lost in combat and conventional bombing on both sides would have been spared. Giving humanitarian aid to Gaza and strong arming Israelis not to cut off water and electricity to Gaza forces Israel into a war in which it must suffer large casualties because then it can only root out the Moss terrorists by going door to door, building by building, subject to booby traps and sniper fire at each step of the way. No, Israel must be free not only to shut off the water and electricity going to Gaza, but also to prevent supplies of any kind from entering Gaza and demand not only surrender by Hamas, but unconditional surrender. Only that will make it possible to secure Israel's military occupation of Gaza with minimal casualties and then subsequent roundup and execution of the Hamas terrorists as promised by Minister Netanyahu in a speech following the Hamas attack referred to Hamas members as dead men. If Biden policy of aid to the Hamas enemies continued, Israel may be forced to call off its invasion of Gaza to avoid the loss of good portion of its army. In that case, Hamas will have won the war it started and Israel will be subject to further horrific attacks by Hamas and every other gang of terrorists that may care to make one. Um, this is a different article, which we'll read in a second. Anyways, to put that out there, uh, George Riesman, uh, really taking the other side on that aggressively, which I I found shocking because I, I, I've seen so many, uh, of the libertarians that I seem to read, uh, have taken more of the approach of looking at the, I guess, broader history that got into the situation than the more, I guess, what would appear to be a more limited perspective of, hey, these two people are at war, and uh, civ- civilian casualties are a faculty of war. Which, uh, as I've mentioned on the show before, I have wondered if there is a little bit of a uh, like magnifying glass bias of that. You know, there's atrocities going on all over the world all the time, and we seem to be more zoomed in on this one. If you guys have followed the show thus far, we've argued the other way every single time. And so I'm throwing this out there as, look, here's the best version of the other argument that I've seen. Not endorsing it, just in case that wasn't clear. All right. Um, All right. This was from the New York Times, and I don't remember why I clipped it, but let's give it a read. Um, Michael Orn, a foreman Israeli bastard to the U.S., has argued that Israel should allow Hamas leaders to surrender and flee much as the Palestinian Libertarian Liberation Organization members did in Beirut in 1982. In exchange for the return of all hostages, the terrorists could sail off to Algeria, Libya, or Iran. Um, Tariq Kennedy Shawa, fellow at Al-Shakabaka, a Palestinian think tank, also says that resuming the war would be a mistake. He argues that eliminating a group with as much local support as Hamas in Gaza is impossible to do, Israel would have to destroy the rest of Gaza, creating the next generation of insurgents. There really is no military solution to this crisis. I don't know why I clipped that. All right. Um, okay. Last topic. And then we've got, hopefully, uh, Mark will be, uh will be joining us here shortly. Give me one second. All right. So you've got this uh, climate summit pack thing going on every single couple of years. They all get together and they want to pretend like they're going to make a change and that everyone else is at fault for what's going on. That's the way they like to orchestrate this whole ordeal, right? Point fingers. Well, it's this guy's fault. It's that guy's fault. Hey, does this ma- does this meeting even matter without China and India at the table? But that's the way they like to do it. Everyone likes to show up and they like to pretend like the changes that they're gonna do are gonna make an impact, and that if uh, we don't immediately take carbon reduction, we're all gonna die have died yesterday. That, that's what that's what these people are constantly throwing at us. Uh, and so you know, we're gonna have a uh, mark on a couple minutes to you know, maybe explain to us why they've invested so much infrastructure into, you know trying to preach to us that the world is about to end unless we make immediately, And it's so funny because we share, it's like they like to pretend, I guess, like China and India are just on a different planet. It's like we can save our planet and China and India will just destroy their planet. And the actual reality of the situation is that, uh, firstly, climate models, it seems like they're just making it up. They're working with screwy things. They can't replicate their results. And you can't say that global warming isn't happening. Because I don't fucking know. And I can't even say that man isn't contributing to global warming. What I can say is an absolute. Is that if government tries to step into this to correct for it, they will only get in the way of economic growth and they will cause death in other ways. How are they going to cause death? You're going to end up with poorer people, with less electricity, with less food. There's consequences to these things. And they're pretending like what? you know How many things have they already been... uh, uh, like claimed that they could rectify in the global warming game that they've just seemed like completely off about, right? How are these windmills working out for, for them? How are these, uh, solar panels working out for them? How are these electric cars working out for them? And I know they want to claim, Hey, if government invests in them now and a hundred years from now, these technologies will be better. But do we have, do we like, what are the examples that you can point to of government stepping in and creating like products that I guess the free market could not have. I mean, maybe you could say some of the biggest inventions of all time, nuclear power. Could we have figured out nuclear power if governments didn't step in and create atom bombs? Is that even an overall net good though? Would you argue that the creation of nuclear power is an overall net good? I mean, firstly, I guess you've got this incredible technology that could give us all electricity, but we don't even use it. Instead, what we did is we created the atom bombs. We created the ability that we could all torch each other. You know, any country could blow up any other country. You can get one madman that just wants to destroy everybody. Easy peasy. But we don't even use the upside of it, which would be the carbon-free electricity while they yell about, hey, the carbon is going to kill all of us. I don't know. What's another invention that you could point to and go the free market would have never have gotten us to this invention. Uh, But thanks to government investment early on, we ended up having it down the road because that's what they like to say. They like to say, you know, we can, you know, shortcut, I guess, the economies of scale and that the free market might not look into certain technologies. But if government can kickstart it, then maybe, you know, they put enough money into it, the entrepreneurs will come around and they'll actually make improvements. I don't know, did Al Gore actually invent the internet? Would we would it, would any of us have uh, got into the internet if it wasn't for Al Gore and his claims of the, the, the wasn't that then that one also just turn out to be completely false of uh of uh Al Gore creating the internet. All right, let's take a couple of comments. Um, Ranger two hundred eight. We don't even use thorium reactors, which are totally safe and effective can't make weapon grades thorium. So there is no interest. Tell me more Ranger 2008. I don't know anything about this. Um, John Castle, funny. They have to do this because of what might happen. I'm concerned with what is happening. I don't know what that means. Um, Robbie is going to give us a lesson in perinean summing, aiming your gooch at the sun. You know, maybe in a future episode, it's not something, uh, that I've explored, but you know, I'm open to it. I'm open to anything that might improve my life. And if sitting out on my porch and aiming my gooch up at the sun might get light therapy in dark and vacant places that previously I was not able to get light, then who knows? Who Has anyone on this audience experienced, I like how we just went from exploring the free markets to getting sun into your gooch. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe we could have run your mouth, summer porch tour, sun in your gooch day where we'll get specially made chairs. How do you think is the best? The problem is it just seems really gay. It just seems too gay that you're going to have to put yourself into a position that um, a man would put himself in for no other reason other than for, you know, someone inserting things, which we're not into. Like, what what, what are you going to do? You're going to get one of like those uh, seats that they have for when women get their vaginas inspected, but you put it outside. And so that way you can angle your gooch, your, 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 your I, I, when you say gooch, we're talking about your asshole, right? We're talking about aiming your asshole up at the sun. So what do you do? You're doing one of two things. You're either getting on all fours as if you're about to take it in your rectum to try and point your gooch up at the sun. And that seems like that's way worse because then someone might creep up on you. That seems way more vulnerable is being out there on all fours, just trying to aim your, 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 your butthole up at the sun. At least if you're doing it like lying down on your back, like a baby with your legs up in the air, like, uh, like the kind of like that, the, the baby yoga pose, then at least you can see if you got anyone who's trying to, because you never know if you just flash your beautiful asshole out there, not mine, mine's not particularly beautiful, but you might have a beautiful asshole. And I don't really understand the attraction to assholes, right? I don't know why one asshole would be nicer than another asshole on a dude. I, I can't, I can't answer this for you, but you know, men, they're horny individuals. If you're just gonna be outdoors, flashing your gooch, trying to get some sunlight into it, you, you never know. I'm just saying, I, I wouldn't want to be on all fours. I definitely wouldn't want to be that way. But then the other way, like you're trying to give birth, that seems even like I, then you got to like actually see yourself. That's even grosser. You got to look down at your soft wiener. You got to feel like you're being a baby, just holding your legs open. So, unless someone can actually come here with certifiable proof that tanning your gooch gives you unbelievable energy and clarity that cannot be attained by any other mechanism. I will not be engaging in gooch tanning, but I do appreciate the question as I do waste time for our guests to show up because I overestimated how many topics I had. Uh, So I appreciate you showing up and asking me whether or not I would, uh, you know, point aim my gooch at the sun and I'm going to go hard pass. I was open to it. You suggested it. I decided to think about it. I decided to explore all the angles. I really went with you there. I really thought, what would it take to, to get out there and tan my rectum? Maybe if you told me that if you put, like, tanning lotion in there, it, the, the sun would cure hemorrhoids? Maybe? But even so, I don't think so. I think I'd rather just live with the hemorrhoids than the indignity of uh, showing up into the world and uh, pointing my gooch up at the sun. I don't think I don't think that's something uh, that I would particularly appreciate. Um, but thank you for the suggestion and who knows, maybe for enough sponsor dollars, maybe if someone came onto the show with perennium sunning cream and said, Hey, listen, I'll pay for your new studio space. I'll pay for your producer. I just need you to go use this and not film it, but give an honest endorsement to what perineum cream has done for you. And the the fact that light therapy has done for your butt. Can someone suggest another topic while I stall for the guest? Can so I want to get off this one. All right, BT BAMs. That bully on different strokes name was on the gooch. Never GPT to see him though. Arnold and Willis just talked about him a lot. That wasn't helpful. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sun your gooch in a hammock. Hmm. Oh. You know, that's interesting. All right, we don't have to waste more time with this And the guest has no interest in listening to the topic of uh, how a man can go about tanning his gooch. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Mark, it's <laughs> an honor to have you on the show. How's your day going?
1: Sounds like you had to fill in some dead time. Sorry about that. Um... No,
0: no, not a problem. I, uh, <laughs> I'm i still getting a feel for, uh, for having guests on and the timing, and yeah. I figured I had 45 minutes of topics, and I did not. And then someone asked me if I would uh, – considered uh tanning my gooch and so I just did about 10 minutes on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, sorry about that, man.
0: No, no, no. It's totally cool. You're right on time. Uh it's a pleasure to have you on. I loved uh I loved your book uh which I had read uh, a couple years ago uh Unassailable, uh which really the second half was a little bit more technical guide, but the first half was really a history of uh kind of modern censorship on the internet and uh, I saw on Zero Hedge the other day, you're writing on another book on a topic that, you know, I've yelled about quite a bit. So I was excited to talk to you about it.
1: Yeah, well, it's great to, to get on the show with you. And I mean, we've known each other a number of years, so it's nice to catch up live. And yeah, Unassailable, I probably should do uh, a second version of that just because the technology... The, this, you know, what's called coming to be called sovereign computing, right, is, is made leaps and bounds since I put out that book. Um, you know, like a couple of shout outs, there's things like Ghost, uh, there's Start9 um, operating system, and there's just more and more methods for people to take control over the technology. So everything you put in the cloud is is becoming more of a personal cloud thing and becoming decentralized, and there's more options and more development. And it's still very much under the radar, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that gaining more momentum and gathering steam.
0: Hell yeah. So for today, uh, as you know, Biden's not showing up, but as the world leaders get together and they discuss what they're going to do to fight carbon. You wrote an article on Zero Hedge about carbon allowances. It's something that we've spoken about on this show with the capabilities of a a central-backed digital currency, what they might do to limit our carbon usage. So it's a serious topic. And to start it off, in your estimates, uh, how many farts are we going to be allowed a year?
1: I don't know. It might be more of like, if you're a member of the liberal party in Canada or the Democrats in the States, you might be allowed more farts than, (laughs) you know, MAGA voters. Um, You know, it's every time there's one of these cop conferences and it's always worth noting that a lot of the attendees arrive on private jet and super yacht. And then I always wonder like, what's going to get taken away this year, right? At cop 26, which I guess was two years ago, they the big bullet points and takeaways were meat, right? Uh methane. It's like, oh, methane is worse than carbon and cows are a big source of methane. It was cow farts were under the microscope then, not people farts yet. But what was I wrote a piece then too, because what was interesting is if you actually took a look at the menu from that conference. It was like grass fed Wagyu, like the carbon footprint of the menu for the attendees (laughs) was, was more than a month's worth of rations for the rest of us plebs. And that's how these people operate with no sense of irony or self awareness. It's they tool around they give pontificate from gold plated thrones or solid gold thrones about wealth inequality and and we're all in this together. And uh, the rest of you, I always say it's everybody else. The rest of you are going to have to ratchet down your standard of living. So the piece that you're talking about that kind of went a little crazy this week: um, a travel agency out of England called Intrepid Travel, in conjunction with um, like a think tank called I uh, actually uh, Future Lab, and they they have the an umbrella name. They put out a report it came out actually early october and they said that you know climate the climate emergency was going to lead to a condition of like travel extinction right was was the thing because you know bahamas would sink under the sea or something like that And so there'd be places where climate change is so bad you can't even go and then what would happen is governments would impose travel restrictions based on carbon passports um, in the future to limit people's travel, except theirs, of course. And uh, I think they put the year 2040 on it. So I wrote it up. It was in the October um, Bitcoin capitalist letter. Uh, I pulled out an excerpt. I put it on bombthrower.com over the weekend and it just went crazy. Right. And uh, uh, because people are just coming off of the lockdown era we've had two years like you if if you and i would have been talking about this without covid without the pandemic right people think we were insane people would think we're like two randos out of 4chan right like listen to these guys but now like everybody a lot of people lined up for lockdowns a lot of people um said yeah this is the right thing and they still believe it to this day despite all the harms being um coming out of in studies now and and we could the list goes on we could rhyme them off all morning um we but pretty well even polite company knows the lockdowns did more damage than than good but people stood still for it and during the lockdowns and beyond the lockdowns people um You know, these think tanks and these supranational organizations like the WEF and whoever, they've been saying the quiet part out loud saying, wow, we really reduced carbon emissions during lockdowns and maybe climate lockdowns will be next. Um, That is quickly moving out of the conspiracy theory realm because, I mean, people are putting out white papers about it. And so this particular one, you know, Future Labs, they kind of strike me as a as a wannabe world economic forum. And and uh, they talk about what I call technocratic communism in very um, euphemistic terms. You know, they've got another report. I haven't finished reading it yet. Called uh, neo collectivism. They think is going to be the big trend of the future. And uh, it's just basically, you know, a polite way to say technocratic communism.
0: So let's talk about the uh, the consequences of the system. So I, I guess the the critical features that they would need in terms of infrastructure, either a, central, a central-backed digital currency makes it very easy because then they get to see what you're consuming, how much carbon do they tie to your consumption, and then basically not letting you make specific purchases because you're over your, your allotment. So the infrastructure, if you have a central-backed digital currency, is very easy. Or if they create some different mechanism for Uh, tracking your purchases, which it doesn't seem very easy without that aspect. I could, I can understand how with modern technology, they could track us enough to execute on this. I'll hand it to you though, to kind of let people know what the consequences of them telling you, Hey, here's your carbon allotment. Like what does life actually look like if they were to step in and do that?
1: let's get to that but let's yeah. let's let's get there by talking about cbdcs themselves as the natural rails for this kind of a system right, right. because for one thing climate alarmism is bulldozing this the, the middle class right we're basically it's a controlled demolition of the economy and the reason why like why would leaders want to destroy their economy well if the whole thing is based on debt right? If the whole thing is based on an expanding debt bubble that can no longer be expanded, then somehow you have to let the air out of this bubble. And you have to try to do the unthinkable in modern economics, which is deflate. Like deflation is death when you're using debt for money. So we've got this huge debt bubble. And in my mind, I always say the easiest way to understand debt is just its future value pulled into the present and consumed now. Right. So it's, we have pulled all this future value into the present and we've spent it. We've used it up. So how do you then get in front of this? Because we can't pull any more future value. Well, you have to get the rabble to tone down their standard of living, right? You have to get them to like stop living beyond their means. And uh, Uh, and...
0: so it's a forced austerity, but under the guise of saving the environment.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, de-dollarization is a thing. Fiat debasement is a thing. So what do we do? Okay, in a way, and people kind of take, take me the wrong way when I say this, they're actually taking a playbook out of the sound money playbook by saying, we're not going to back money by debt anymore. These symbolic tokens that denominate debt backed by nothing, we're going to back money with carbon. Carbon emissions, CO2 emissions, CO2 footprints. This is now the hard backing for your money. And the way to deliver it and to track it, because that's non trivial, is through a central bank digital currency. And we all carry these things around with us. And so our entire lives are in here. Okay. Well, that's where it's, you know, our lives will be gamified into our phones. My only um, uh, caveat around that is you can't call it money anymore right? Because money is something that you can save. It's something that you can spend when you want, where you want, why you want, and all that goes away. So this isn't money anymore. It's not money backed by nothing. It is now a social credit score capped by your carbon emissions. So how pervasive will it be? Well, if you're living in a world where your business is on lockdown, your business is like shut down uh, for whatever reason, right? If you're you're completely dependent on stimmies and emergency payments from the central bank to not starve to death, that just shows up on your phone every month, you're going to adhere to whatever rules they put on that system because you have no other choice. If you have no independent means of wealth, if you have no other assets outside of this system, uh, then it's kind of a no-brainer. You have no choice but to comply. And there's a whole, unfortunately, class of people who are going to like it this way. You know, the people like we all know them. They've got the uh, the right avatars and the right flags in their Twitter bios. And they're going to like, you know they're going to go along with this because we're all in this together so there's a certain portion of the population is going to be on side with this they're going to be like the new lockdown enforcers right but there's going to be a lot of involuntary compliance like people like don't want to be in that system and uh And then there's going to be people who have means outside of that system. And this is where I do get a lot of pushback because I'm a I'm a Bitcoin guy. I love Bitcoin. I say Bitcoin is the anti-CBDC. Bitcoin is the antidote to all of this stuff. And people tell me, well, the governments are not going to allow Bitcoin. Um, We can talk about that. We just covered a lot. I don't know if you want to go back over anything or just...
0: No, no. I liked, I liked where you were segwaying with it, that the... Uh, uh, explain to me. So how... Because I, I... Listen, I like Bitcoin and uh, I'm friends with Guy Swan. I've had the, the Bitcoin Maxis on here. Yeah. And I fully understand from a technological standpoint how this is the greatest solution for peacefully defunding government. Mm-hmm. But I do also wonder that, you know, government's got some tricks up its sleeve and they like power. And mm-hmm. so the idea that if it really challenged their power, that they would just lay over, take it, not either make it illegal, harder to use, or potentially hack the system or whatnot. So give us the uh, give us your case for how you know this is gonna successfully circumvent the CBdc.
1: okay. so there's a few different inroads, you know into into this conversation. but where I like to start is um, the basic premise that the government is this all powerful entity and a monolith right, right. the wef controls the world and what i tell people is that the wef would like to control the world and the government would like to control the world and i i live in canada and i certainly know the the liberal socialist coalition would love to control all of canada but governments are not all powerful entities and what's going on in the world today, the actions of our governments do not point to an all powerful entity consolidating power. They point to sclerotic, disintegrating, slow moving behemoths that are completely out of their depth in a new in the new decentralized, highly complex world. The governments today are linear Institutional, industrial age relics in a decentralized topology of networks. Right? So,
0: just uh, I, I guess uh, you ever watched the show Venture Brothers? No. Okay. Uh, the, 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 no, no, no. I I can make it really simple. If tomorrow, let's just say, out of the sky dropped watches that I could teleport myself to anywhere in the world, and we all receive these watches, that would be a technology that was so revolutionary. Government would not be able to control it because it would it would have been sp- given out too quickly for them to then go ahead and protect the airlines and the oil industry. Like think about all the industries that would almost need government protection from that technology to go out of existence. So if one person created it in a lab, government might be able to get in the way of you know it getting to people. But let's say someone managed to make that in a way that they were able to give it out so quickly that government was forced to embrace the technology because they had no choice. People were already using it. People already loved it. People's lives are already changed. The economy was already booming off of it. They'd have no choice. So I think that's kind of what you're saying is that if you have a technology that's so good and is so efficient, then you can beat government because you are quick, le- quick enough in terms of the distribution of it. Is that kind of the argument?
1: Pretty much. I mean, it, it's a, it's, it's a bit more... It's a bit, it's not just outpacing the government. I mean, what I what I always say about the era we live in now and and the government solutions to the problems we face in this era is they're just trying to implement linear extensions of the industrial era. Right. So okay. I always say they're trying to come up with faster horses in an age of cars, right? Right. And so they're never going to come up with a horse that's fast enough because they're still thinking in this top-down you know, hierarchical, rigid infrastructure of central planning. It's like, let's just put a team of eggheads together that are going to whiteboard this whole thing out, figure it out, implement a bunch of policies, and reality will conform. And we're seeing over and over and over again in every avenue that that's not the way the world works, right? None of the lockdown models panned out. None of the vaccination models panned out. None of the interest rate models panned out. Like they can't even get interest rates right. So are they going to micromanage the entire economy and like put a lid on Bitcoin? Bitcoin has a life of its own. If there was a time when the governments of the world could have stopped it, it's too late now. It's a legitimate constituency. And one of the other things I, I say about it is like it, love it, hate it. Big money has already decided that Bitcoin is a thing. So, you know, I'm not a huge Larry Fink fan, but when BlackRock filed for the spot ETF, I basically declared victory and said <laughs> Bitcoin, Bitcoin has achieved victory. And and in fact, I described it because Larry Fink was fond of, of using the phrase forcing behaviors. He said, I'm going to use my market weight because I'm the largest shareholder in every publicly traded corporation in the world. And I, we're gonna use that influence to force behaviors into ESG, right? And he hated crypto and he hated Bitcoin. And what happened? BlackRock first started doing institutional custody for high net worth clients about a year and a half ago. And then they filed for the ETF. And I keep joking, like in the, in the list, in the mailing list, Who got their behaviors forced, right? BlackRock got their asses forced by Bitcoin. Because I can tell you what probably happened is behind what we see publicly, some very large pools of capital and wealth and fiduciaries and pension funds and all of these places that to whom they entrust places like BlackRock, they said to them, we want to allocate to Bitcoin." And you're either going to give us a pathway to allocate to Bitcoin or we're going to, like, do whatever we have to do to find a pathway to Bitcoin. And at that point, I mean, you answer to your clients. I think the market forced BlackRock into Bitcoin. I know there's all these theories that they're trying to take it over. Yeah, okay, we can talk about those. But in the end, um, you're going to tell me that the world's wealthy right? Like not everybody is sitting on the board of directors of the WEF. There's a lot of wealth out there in the world. And you tell me that governments are going to go to them and say, we're coming up with a new money system. Your capital, your liquidity is all going to be locked up in in electronic bonds and digital currencies that we can turn off anytime we want. We can devalue them anytime we want. We can put expiry dates on it when we want. We can limit how much meat you can consume with it. And you're basically living at our whim with all of this capital base that you've built over possibly generations. And I'll tell you what the people who are sitting on those large piles of capital are going to tell those governments and those banking systems is they're going to tell them to go fuck themselves. That is not happening. They would rather go out and buy an aircraft carrier completely equipped with nukes to say this is not happening. You do whatever you want to your internal debt system or whatever, we are not putting our capital into that system. It is a non-issue and it's a non-starter. And for that, we actually benefit because that happens all across on a fractal level. So from the retail investor and the small, the minnows who are actually the biggest sort of uptake in Bitcoin these days, everybody is saying that. So the governments, they may wish and want to put all capital under this CBDC system. It is simply not going to happen unless they think they have the power and the will to just enact a complete global 100% authoritarian dictatorship. Well, it's he, on the ground tomorrow.
0: Here's here's how I, I, I can see them selling it. Um, one sale is just, Hey, all of your government benefits are coming through this, which means yeah. that the world's poor. Like even if it's, even if like, let's just say you're only, let's just say your your tax rebate's coming through that. Let's just say just that alone. Yeah. And hey, you got to go get signed up. You got to put this on your phone. Your tax rabi- rebate's coming through this. 80% of the, cut, co- like you're going to have your, maybe 1% holdouts like me or you who go, hey, that's the trap. But then what happens when it's, hey, your healthcare credit's coming through this. Or if you're on social security, your Medicare, your Medicaid, If all of a sudden, all the benefits are coming through it, and I'll tell you another kicker is if they start saying, hey, any payments made through this currency, you're no longer responsible for keeping your own tax records. We're Mm going to take our cut automatically. So in that that sense, there's a massive efficiency and the ability for them to literally bribe you and go, listen, I know that this is a new technology, but if you want the equivalent of, let's just say, $20,000 a year, here's how you get it. Yeah. Now, if, if we're right, I think if we're lucky, there'll be a two part system where uh, the central bank digital currency exists and that happens, but they don't actually outlaw cash and all the other usages. And maybe more and more people realize how inflationary the currency is. And so you do see people who are moving towards a Bitcoin or even building base layers off the Bitcoin. Um, but I certainly see how government has enough incent- incentive tools and how even like the natural part like technological progression towards digital currency, d- like I-, I-, I see how it- I-, I just kind of see how it makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes absolute sense. and you're right, and that's exactly how it's probably gonna play out. And a lot of people are gonna go along with it. And that's why my solution almost sounds glib, which is like don't be reliant on government entitlements right if you don't want to be completely beholden to this system now where i run into debate or we might run into debate is people will say well they aren't going to allow the other system to exist they're not going to let you go to the grocery store and use these non-cbdc forms you see of money. that's
0: where i just to agree with where you're going it's uh what's it say's law the good currency will drive out bad currency I think it's
1: Gresham's Law. Gresham's
0: law. Unless I have it backwards,
1: actually. No, you're Uh, right. You're right. Bad currency drives out the good. Sorry.
0: Yes. Yes. So my guess is that like if there's a second option for a different currency, it will probably be preferred. And so I think as long as government doesn't outright ban alternative currency, even cash, it will continue to exist and it will probably be the preferred currency.
1: yeah, and people are like, "Well, they'll just ban alternative forms of cash," and that, that brings me back to the large, right. the large. I'm just, I, I'm sorry, I I, I I guess
0: I am interrupting you here, but if you just That's think right. about the concept of a black market and how much money exists currently in the black market, yeah. So you're telling me that if if I want to get meat over my quota, like just think about how much demand there will be for for black market goods, if they actually went through with this, and then you can think of currency is basically built off the guaranteed redeemability. That's part of what gives the U S dollar its uh, value is the fact that I can pay my taxes in it. If there was a black market for being over, just, you're not even talking about drugs, alcohol, prostitution, gambling. I just want another
1: hamburger, man.
0: Yeah. I just want another hamburger. (laughs) And then you can see, yeah, the alternative currency is going to do very well.
1: Yeah. And then again, you go back to the large, um, corporate and wealth capital bases that would just say, um, that have the standing in the clout to say to the government, if people want to pay us in Bitcoin, we're going to take it. And there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Right. Um, so
0: let's, uh, this is uh, a bit of a segue, but I was reading your uh, article about digital wallets and mm-hmm. I've seen, um, I, I, I recently, I've talked about this on the show before, but I was reading, uh, Safadon. I always mess up his name. Safadon. Yeah. I was reading his more recent book, um, which was uh the the fiat standard.
1: Yeah, Bitcoin and, standard first, fiat standard right. second. Yeah.
0: So when I read the Bitcoin standard, I was like, "Oh my god, Bitcoin's the greatest thing that ever happened." I was all about it, and then I read the fiat standard, and uh, I love. Uh, hopefully, I'll have him on the show one day. And I didn't yeah. read this that recently, but I came away with a a more negative picture of Bitcoin because what he was describing in the long term usage was Bitcoin almost being the base layer for transactions to then happen, one for it to be the base layer and two for transactions to kind of start happening on other networks, kind of on top of Bitcoin as the base layer. But the other part that sounded kind of negative to me, just in my understanding of human psychology, is that you're also talking about a structure that included um, a lot of fees and everyone kind of likes things that are free. Um, mm-hmm. So. I was reading a little bit of your piece on the, and and what I'm describing is a little bit of like the Bitcoin cash argument, which is if Bitcoin was supposed to come in and really be a new tech revolutionary technology, uh, the fact that it's kind of slow, the technology doesn't seem to be there that I can just, you know, the pizza problem, I can't walk into most stores and just easily pay Bitcoin. I'm a Bitcoin fan and I still have my money on the exchanges because I'm lazy and I don't want to deal with the wallet. I lose things all the time. I understand. But the problem is, if I'm reserved about this, the point I'm trying to make is converting your average mom and pop into the system.
1: Yeah.
0: You got to make things free and easy. That's the way people like the back end cost. People are stupid. We're all on the internet. We're giving away all of our data for free all the time. And you can convince all of us, hey, you're a dumbass for being on Tinder. But hey, I got laid last week. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Like We're dumbasses. And Bitcoin kind of relies on almost an aspect of uh, human intelligence of wanting to, you know what I mean, being forward looking and going, hey, I want to get out of the government system. I want to build my own ability to have my capital in my hand, be able to travel with it. Uh, To me, there's still some technological friction that no one's created. And I'm stealing from your article now the iPhone of Bitcoin now, which just makes it easy and readily accessible so I hand it back to you to maybe kind of explain some of the tech developments that might be coming that will, uh, you know, revolutionize the industry.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, I had a friend in the late nineties when we were sort of like tooling around and looking at this new thing called the World Wide web. And he showed, it was showing me like a mosaic browser. He's like, Hey, check this out. Right. Right. And, uh, and he said, you know, we're very much in the Edison stage of this story uh, called the internet. And I think, we're still very early. I mean, think about it. Bitcoin's been around like, what is it, 13 years, 14 years? Like, since right. Like we are so early in this story still. And you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, I, <laughs> I was actually like, I had to do something in cold storage the other night and I was terrified. It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh my God. And like, I knew what I was doing and testing and all right. this stuff. And it was still like, yeah. We are a long way away from being able to like have mom and like everybody's mom and pop using it, but we're also making great strides. Like I go to a conference and I buy a t-shirt using lightning and it's right. just, it's literally magic internet money. Like the guy just showed it here you go. And I just, you know, scan the QR code and it happens instantly and it's done. And that is like, I tell people a few years ago, I say, look, people, have to self custody. They have to own their own keys, but they want PayPal. Like that's the right. world we live in. And that's the tension that we have to solve going forward. And I think we're starting to get there. And I think that's why um, you're going to see a lot of the innovation on the layer two, right? right? The lightning well, and things like it. And
0: Right. I think you're hundred percent right. Of, it's like a PayPal. Cause if you gave me the equivalent of a Venmo on my phone, and I had to convert X amount to, to Bitcoin. I guess the only, here's the only problem that you have and maybe it gets fixed. You still have a little bit of a volatility problem in terms of for, like most of us still think in terms of dollars and you're converting kind of your Bitcoin to dollars in order to make a payment. Yeah. You still have like, and that sometimes it's just a mental problem. But it, it, if you get to a point where Bitcoin's gone a long enough period of time, and it doesn't need to like it doesn't need to have drastic upwards movements to excite people as much as if it hit a threshold that people knew it wasn't coming down from. Yeah, I think you'd have more people who are just like, I'd rather hold the the chief like uh, the core, you know, sale to Bitcoin is, hey, government will always inflate and erode the value of your currency. This is yeah. a fixed amount and it can't go down in value. The problem is, is that what we saw kind of in the last bubble. Was it it traded like other financial assets, where people were getting all this free money, and the speculators were just pouring it into Bitcoin? So you had to run from, let's say, I'm not I'm not even going to call it a natural level because you can't call it that. But let's say it floated around 25 or 30, and it ran all the way up to 60 based off of the speculators. The speculators treating it like a financial asset does ruin the ability of just having that feel good feeling, which is kind of the core value of it. Of if I'm holding a Bitcoin, this is not going to go down in value. My dollar' is going to go down in value. everything else is going to erode its wealth. This will not. It almost needs to hit like some sort of a like critical mass of price stability where it's used more as currency and less as like a speculative asset that people would be like, I'd rather hold my like average people would go, I'd rather not convert an in and out for transactions. I'd actually rather hold the Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, exactly so. And we I think we're seeing, I mean, we did say, I did say we're very early in this stage and you see this, right. por- this huge volatility, these waves. And I personally think that over time, like those waves are going to smooth out and those highs will go away. Those lows will go away. There will always be a band if there's something to measure it against, like a fiat currency that still exists, you know, it's always going to go up and down against it. But I think those waves will, as time goes on, those waves will sort of like extend and, and, and not be as extreme. The last run up, you're right. Everything was going, everything was correlated. Like it was, there was that mantra. It's all one trade. Right. And uh, uh, and I mean, I like, uh, it was Dimitri Kafinas, Hidden Forces guy who coined the phrase financial nihilism, right? And so it was like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Because they're printing money like crazy, and so it, that was actually a kind of a mild hyperinflation was what was happening. Except it was happening in assets because right. people were like, "They're they're printing this stuff out of thin air. They're literally pulling it out of their ass every time. Every dollar they pull out of their ass makes the dollar in my wallet worth a little less, and I'm gonna just put it into whatever, anything, because." Everything is going up. You got, you know, Dave Portnoy pulling stock symbols out of a Scrabble <laughs> bag and, right. and making hay on it, right? That was financial nihilism. And for a while, uh, it was all one trade. I think what we've seen over the last bear cycle and the other thing, there was a having, there was a Bitcoin halving like right at the beginning of that COVID. Right. It was almost like, holy moly, did the stars align on a run up. Um, and there's another one coming up in April, but, um, I think what we saw, we're starting to see this year is a little bit of divergence among asset classes. So people are kind of starting to go, um, you know, if the stock market goes down for a few weeks, it's not like cryptos and commodities and it doesn't all move together anymore. Things are starting to like, starting to drift. There's still a lot of correlation, but there's everyone's still watching what is the Fed going to do with rates and things like that. But things are starting to drift closer to their own fundamental drivers, right? And the Bitcoin volatility will smooth out over time. I think um, what I look at is the total market cap of Bitcoin and I compare it to the total market cap of bonds. And I realize that this is we are extremely extremely early in this picture because bitcoin is still like you know half a trillion dollars in bonds depending on what you count like call it 300 trillion of dead (laughs) walking um you know if if just one or two percent starts saying well we want to be someplace other than these devaluing paper currency bonds fixed income uh It's going to really change the game on things like gold and silver and Bitcoin and even the rest of the cryptos. They're all just going to find another level, right? They're going to level up one more time. I mean, again, anyway.
0: There you go. All right. We covered quite a bit of ground before I let you go. Why don't you plug wherever uh, people can find you if you had any uh, last thoughts you wanted to get out?
1: Sure. I mean, bombthrower.com is like, uh, my main blog and, and mailing list and stuff. If you, uh, sign up there, you get a copy of the crypto capitalist manifesto, which I wrote like three years ago and probably should rewrite. Um, but the new book, the CBDC survival guide, um, I'll, I'll send that out to everyone on the list when that's finally done. Uh, my premium letter is the bitcoincapitalist.com uh, and uh my day job is i run a, a web host a domain company called easy dns and uh we pride ourselves on not being cancel karens so um you know we're based in, out of canada and uh, if you need a domain website you want to be out of the clutches of uh the huge big tech platforms we're a, we're a friendly place that has your back there you go.
0: And just to give you, you a nice plug, I, uh, for, I don't know, however anyone sees me, I don't have an easy time concentrating or reading. I'm an ADD person. Uh, you're a great writer. Everything's very interesting. And it's, uh, it's like, it's an E while the topics are dense. I'm telling you, I'm telling everyone here, go check out the blog. It's uh it's an interesting and easy read. I never find myself spacing out or overwhelmed. So I really do plug it.
1: High praise. Thanks a lot, Robbie.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll do it again down the line.
1: All right. Love to take care.
0: Later.